If you're new, we are teaching through the Gospel of Mark. So we're in chapter 10. The last story in Mark chapter 10, it's a story of Jesus healing a blind guy. Now you might be thinking, two weeks ago when Justin filled in for you, didn't he teach on Jesus healing a blind guy? Yes, he did. And I am not happy about that. <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. Now, the reason is Jesus heals at least nine blind people in the Gospels. The reason why that is over and over talked about is because the healing of the blind is an Isaiah messianic marker. And if people wanted to figure out who Messiah was, Isaiah gave this kind of list. And one of those things is he'll give sight to the blind. No one else in the Bible heals a blind person. Saul in the book of Acts has his healing restored, but that's a whole different story. Jesus alone is the one who is able to give sight to the blind, and it's huge. If you go back 2,000 years, there was a lot more blind people because today we have figured out that about 85% of blindness can be prevented, that we can cure it, we can get it before it happens to you. So imagine multiplying the number of blind people by 85%. You have a lot more blind people, and it was hard, hard to be blind. Even today, being blind is hard. Like, if you've ever talked to blind people or studied about them, blind people have great difficulty sleeping. You know why? The sunrise and sunset sets the human clock, right? Kind of tells you hormones are released when it gets dark and you go to sleep. Well, blind people don't have that. So very often they have difficulty getting on a regular kind of schedule of sleep. It's very hard to have insomnia. They'll sleep at the wrong times. It's difficult to be blind. When they sleep, they have dreams. But when you dream, what's your main thing? You see your dream. Guess what happens to a blind person? They actually feel the dream on their body. It's very, very hard. And for some reason, blind people have a much higher percentage of nightmares than sighted people. And the thought is, it's a brain that's actually meant to see trying to figure out life. And that's why there's all this unknown and the brain's trying to work through that at night. Difficult. But there's one positive thing about blind people that I just learned, right? They have a very high percentage of, of marriages. They get married. They're, they're up there with normal, like higher than most groups in their marriage number, over 65%. But divorce, so the norm right now in America, about 50% divorce rate. It's going down, praise the Lord. In evangelicals, it's about 30%. Do you know the divorce rate in blind people? 16%. I thought, why is that? Maybe it's because they don't see the towel I left around or the dirty dishes I left around or the fact that I'm not in very matching clothes or anything like that. They're like, everything's great. Yes, it is, honey. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. So we're gonna talk about a blind person being healed. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. 
And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. <laughs> From rebuking to like, hey, this is awesome. <laughs> so crowds are so funny. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Blind Bart. Notice a couple things. Number one, notice the name how specific it is. We went to Jericho. We're leaving Jericho. On the way out of Jericho, there is a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Real specific, isn't it? I think sometimes people will talk about healing today and they'll be like, hey, my sister's nephew's cousin was down at this place and talked to this guy who has a friend who's married to somebody who has a nephew that was healed of their blindness. And I go, well, that's great. Can't figure that one out. Right? It's just kind of ambiguous. Mark is not ambiguous here. He gives a location, Jericho, a family, Timaeus, and a guy, Bartimaeus. What is he doing? This is an ancient footnote. This is Mark saying, you don't have to take my word for it. If you don't believe me, that's fine. Go to Jericho, find the family of Timaeus, find Bartimaeus, and ask him yourself. This is an ancient footnote. Check it out. Well, Matt, that doesn't help us in 2022 because he's gone now. Here's how it helps us today. Here's the thing. We're heading into Easter right now. And as we head into Easter, you'll be on the Discovery Channel or whatever you like, AMC, and then they'll have a special about Easter, and the special will be titled something like this, In Search of the Historic Jesus. Whenever you see the term historic Jesus, here's what that means. It means this, that the Gospel of Mark, all the Gospels, what they did was, it was an oral tradition for about 200 years. And every generation, there was a little bit more legend added to Jesus. So by the time the guy wrote Mark, 200 years had gone by, and all this legend had grown up about Jesus, and he wrote the legend part about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And so that they are now going to unpack for us and get rid of all the legend and get back to the historic Jesus 
which is a complicated way of saying Jesus didn't do any miracles. So we're just gonna get rid of all the miracles. And then we'll get to the historic Jesus. So whenever you see historic Jesus, what it's saying, it's code for saying, yeah, the gospels are not really historical at all. In order for them to do that, they have to date Mark and Matthew and Luke and John hundreds of years after Jesus. That's the only way they can do that. That's the only way legend can grow. That's the only way you can't go down to Jericho and check with blind Bart, right? You gotta have something, some distance, right? If it was only 30 years, it wouldn't work. Take me, for example. Go back in my life 35 years. I'm a sophomore at Grants Pass High School. Let's say today I start to brag about my sophomore year in high school, and I start to tell people, hey, man, when I was a sophomore, man, I was great. I was captain of the football team, starting quarterback for the caveman there, had Joe Montana as my personal mentor. He'd fly up and coach me, (laughs) you know. I wasn't dating a cheerleader. I was dating the whole squad. It's my lie. I can do whatever I want, right? What would happen if I started doing that? Well, there's people in this town that I graduated with. So you could just go talk to them. They'd be like, what? You can go talk to Coach Blanchard, right? He still lives in this town. Hey, Coach Blanchard, do you remember Matt Heverly as a sophomore? Was he starting your quarterback? He'd be like, what? I remember that kid. He went out as a freshman. We couldn't find pads small enough for him, so we cut him. That's what he would say, right? It just doesn't work. You got to have a lot of time to go by if you're going to let a legend grow. So they're always trying to date these books a long, long time away. That's what's happening. Okay, so here's why these names help us. Names are really important to historic documents because historians know this. They know something. If I was to ask you right now, what were the most popular names in 1822? Without Google, could you tell me? Well, I'll tell you the most popular names. Addison, Ellis, Madison, Erasmus, Lyman, Chauncey. Would you have guessed that? No, I had to Google it, right? So here's what historians know. A mistake that's often made in a document that they claim to write 200 years earlier is they make the mistake, they put the popular name in to that document because it's the water they swim in. So they just grab the names of people that are around them at that time. So a way historians can often figure out, is this document reliable or not? Is to just look at the names and see if those names were the popular known names when this thing was reported to have been written. So how do you possibly figure out popular names? Real easy. You go to a graveyard and you look at markers on a graveyard and you start to write down all the names on the markers on the graveyard to figure out what were the names of people buried around this time because that will tell you the popular names. So guess what? Bartimaeus and Timaeus are the normal names of people from the first century AD. Mark absolutely nails it right here. Nails it. And then there's another little marker in here. It says this. It says, that verse 47, they said, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Why is that interesting? Because 
Only when Jesus is a long ways away from Nazareth do crowds begin to refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus is in Nazareth, it's just Jesus. But then when he gets further and further away from Nazareth, then and only then do people start to refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth. Now, why would they do that? When he's in his hometown, everybody knows who he is, right? It's only when he gets further away that you gotta have more information about who is this guy, right? So I'm gonna say this not to brag at all. Last time I bragged about being known in Grant's past, God just smacked me down. Do you remember that? I was pouring some concrete with my daughters. It was like four or five years ago, and it was on a Saturday. They didn't want to pour concrete with me. They didn't want to do this. So they're kind of grumbling and doing, you know, what kids can do. And my daughters are like, Dad, no one knows you in this town. I was like, what? Yes, people do. People know Matt Heverly and Grant's past. You know, so I argued with them. I don't know why I argued with them. I should have just agreed. Like I've learned enough that I just, yeah, you're right. No problem. But I was arguing with him. Well, the cement driver pulls up and the cement driver jumps out of his side. Whoa, it's my pastor. I looked at my daughter and I said, told you. And then he goes, Pastor Mark, it's so good to see you. I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> and so for like a couple days, my daughter was like, okay, Mark. Okay, Mark. I'm like, ah, right? So. It's not a popularity thing. This is just, hey, big church. You know, I didn't do anything to deserve this. God's blessed, all that kind of stuff. His grace. But here in Grants Pass, people just, hey, my heavenly, oh yeah, I know him. But I just go one town over. If I went to Brookings, I got to add some information. I'm Matt Heverly. I'm a pastor at Edgewater Christian Fellowship, right? I got to add a clarifier because people don't know me. Well, this is what Mark does all the time. And the only way that you would do that is if you were a true eyewitness to events. Like this book, the more... It is studied. The more it is seen, the more archaeology, the more reliable this book becomes. There is a graveyard of accusations against the Bible. And they'll pop up one flavor of the month will pop up. People be like, oh, see, the Bible's wrong. It'll go to the graveyard pretty quick, right? Just brilliant. Love Mark. So that's the names. Then notice the rebuke. Verse 48. The crowds that are following Jesus, they're interested in Jesus. They're around Jesus. They want to hear what Jesus has to say, right? These crowds, they say to blind Bart, shut up. Ah, it's like, what? Why would they do that? Why? Because religious people, religious people, believe you deserve what you get. Religious people believe you deserve what you get. So I've told this story before, but in India, there's this place I love to go. It's called Spencer's Plaza. I found a picture of it on the internet. It's like one of the earliest malls in India. It's brilliant. You go there and for like two bucks, you can buy whatever shirt you want, like Gucci, Armani, Quicksilver, you name it for two bucks. And they're, they're exporting them to the United States, but you get them there for wh whatever it costs, right? So I love this place. Go there, buy like 10 shirts for 20 bucks. It's brilliant, right? So I took my wife there and we had shopped there and we're leaving and we're walking out. And as I'm walking out, there was a beggar right outside of Spencer's Plaza. And he was like someone I had never seen before. His body right after his rib cage just kind of shrunk to a post. And then his legs were just, I, I can't even understand how his legs were legs, 
Like you're just, uh, and one, one of his hands was completely useless and the other hand kind of was useless. So I'm walking out and I was just staring at him. I think my wife had to like poke me, like stop staring. But it was like the engineer in me like, what? That can't work, right? So my heart's broke for him and I gave him like a hundred times what you're supposed to give a beggar. Like it's a year's worth of money for him. And he's, you know, gurgling because he can't even talk. And I, and I leave, you know, and I'm walking maybe 30 feet from him is this big poster where this guy is selling bumper stickers. And the majority of them are in Tamil, so I can't read them. The one in the center said this, beggars are fools and only fools give to beggars. I remember just sitting there looking at this guy, looking at this thing, just going, oh, how, how? Hinduism. Hinduism believes in reincarnation. Reincarnation says the way that you're born today is a product of a previous life. So that dude must have really screwed up in a previous life. That's what religion says. It's the default of the human mind. Our default is that right there. You are getting what you deserve, right? I call it the echo of Eden. You look at Genesis one through three, and in those chapters, all the default settings of humanity are set in those chapters. And a lot of stuff that we do today is based on that default. So Adam and Eve are told by God in the garden this. They're told, eat of these trees, don't eat of this tree, and you will live. Theologians call that the covenant of works, the first covenant God makes with humans eat of all these trees, don't eat of these trees, and if you do that, you will live. That's the default in every single person's mind. It's the book of Job. His buddies, the book of Job goes through really bad things, right? Really difficult time, and he's got buddies for 30 chapters that are saying, what'd you do wrong, man? Covenant works, what did you do wrong to deserve the situation you are in right now? What did you do wrong? That's in all of us. We're all there. It's the only reason why we would ever say life is unfair. The problem with that is we don't live in Eden anymore. What happens in Genesis 3 to the earth? It gets cursed. And with that cursed comes broken DNA and busted up people like that person that was born that I saw on the side of the road. That's what it ignores. And we have to be very, very careful because we'll fall into the same mentality today looking at people on the side of the road and say, shut up, you deserve it. Very, very careful with our own hypocrisy where the covenant of works does the same thing to me today. Be very careful, right? Some people are homeless because of poor decisions, no doubt about it. But some people are homeless for a whole different reason. This was brought home to me a number of years ago when my wife picked up this young gal and her dog and she was hitchhiking, so brought her to her house. She stayed the night and um, just a good girl, like no drugs, um, no drama, just super sweet. She had a little puppy and every time the puppy would like do something she didn't like, she'd be like, respect, respect. And I'm telling you, for a year, my kids, when something wasn't the way they liked, respect, respect. <laughs> it stuck for a while, right? So after dinner, I was like, hey, like, 
what's your story? You're not on drugs. You're nice. You're, what's going on with you? She's about 18. She said, I just don't like houses anymore. I said, why not? She goes, well, when I was 14, because I know my dad was involved in stuff he shouldn't have been involved in. When I was 14, some people came into my house and shot my dad dead in the living room in front of me. And she goes, I left that house from there and I just don't, don't like houses anymore. Like very, very, very infrequently are people's circumstances simple. And so as believers, we need to hold our rebuke until we've had a conversation. And even if they had made mistakes, my goodness, we're supposed to be dispensers of grace, not the covenant of works. Be careful. Be careful that we don't become like this crowd following Jesus. Give more grace to people than you can possibly imagine because Jesus has done that for us, right? So here's the request. The request is this blind Bartimaeus, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's brought before Jesus. And when he's brought before Jesus, verse 51, it says this. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? That might ring a bell in your head. Because last week, we studied James and John who came to Jesus and said to Jesus, promise that you'll do whatever we ask, like that childish little thing. And Jesus' response, the exact same phrase. What do you want me to do for you? It's Mark pairing stories again like he does all the time. You're supposed to notice that and be like, it's the same thing. James and John were coming to Jesus to manipulate a power play. We want the right seat and we want the left seat. We want an advantage over the other 10. And what do they end up getting? Jesus says, okay, you can have it. What do they get? Torture and death. I said last week, be very careful of the request you make to Jesus because you just might get it, right? So that's what they did and it didn't turn out well for them. How about blind Bart? What is he asking for? What is he requesting? How is he asking? Is it to manipulate? How is he asking? How do I ask? How do I pray? Is blind Bart asking Jesus, hey, heal me because I'm a good guy. Because I've been nice. Heal me because I've been generous. I donated a kidney to another beggar. No. Is he asking because of theodicy? Hey, help me here. You're a good God, how's there so much evil? Like, fix this. Is he asking because he's entitled? Like, this is your planet and it's really messed up. I got the short stick, make it right. You owe me one. How do you like it when people say you owe me one? One of the things I hate in life is feeling like I owe somebody something. And they're gonna call it in, right? There's nothing worse. You think you got a great day at the beach in Brookings? Instead, it's helping that guy move and you're grumbling to mad. I don't think it's right. Try to say, God, you owe me one. I think it's paganism. So how does blind Bartimaeus ask? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. You want a brilliant way to pray? Jesus, son of David, have mercy. What is son of David? What is that title? 
It's messianic. First Samuel chapter seven, the covenant God makes with David. You're gonna have a son, he's gonna rule. But it's more than messianic. We're just out of Christmas. Remember Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name is to be wonderful counselor, the mighty God. What? And the increase of his government, there will be no end. I mean, it's eternal. It's more than just a messianic title. This is Jesus, you are God. Please have mercy on me. I'm not entitled to anything. You don't owe me anything. I'm not talking about life being unfair. Jesus, God in the flesh, have mercy on me. I love that. You want powerful prayers? Don't come entitled. Don't come trying to manipulate like James and John. Come like blind Bart. Jesus, God, mercy. That's a powerful prayer. That's what we learned from blind Bart. That's how you and I approach God. Not based on anything we've done. We've got nothing. Got nothing to offer. Jesus, my God, please have mercy on me. Well, what do we do then? Notice two things Blind Bart does, and then we're done. Number one, it says that he jumped up, he sprang up when they called, threw off his cloak and sprang up. What's our part? We obey. The throwing off the cloak, I think, is symbolic of him having nothing. I don't have anything to offer. I'm coming up to you, if you would, with zero, kind of what we already talked about. But the other thing I love here is when Jesus says this, he sprang up, enthusiasm, passion. You and I are supposed to spring at the commands of Jesus. When God commands something through scripture, when God impresses something on my heart, I am to spring to obedience. Now, why should I? Here's why. Look at this, 1 John chapter 5. Verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his, hmm, and his commandments are not burdensome. Here's why. When God, when Jesus commands something of me, it's not burdensome. It is for my good. Just look at the Bible. Look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the law says, listen, cook your food. Now, for us today, it's hard enough to cook food, right? We'd rather call Uber Eats or something. But all we have to do is click on a stove and heat it up. Guess what it was 3,500 years ago? You had to go collect wood, get wood together. Maybe you had to make a fire, which was rubbing two sticks together for a while. Like, it's pretty hard. And so people would be like, this is so burdensome. Why does God have us cook our food? Well, now we know when you don't cook your meat, what can happen? Bacteria can kill you. Jesus, or the Bible also says in the Old Testament that the people were commanded, when you go to the bathroom, take a shovel, dig a hole, and bury it. Once again, oh, I don't want to, right? We're years from that, generations from that. We don't realize the disease. But I've been to India. Southeast India, they go to the bathroom wherever they want. The smell of India hits you the moment you step off the plane. 
It's like, whoa. You walk along a path on both sides of the path, you can see human feces. It's insane, right? Here's what God was knowing. Two million of you are on a 40-year camp out. Bury it. Bury it, right? It might seem burdensome, but the truth is God's commands are always for our best. Here's maybe a good illustration of it. Remember Karate Kid, right? Great movie. Getting beat up, finds out Miyagi is a karate champion. Hey, Miyagi, please teach me how to do karate. And Miyagi says this. When he finally decides, okay, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you learn karate. He says, you and me make a sacred pact. I promise teach you karate. You promise to learn. I say, you do, no questions. Wax on, wax off, right? <laughs> and he keeps going. Paint the fence, sand on, sand off, right? And so Ralph Macchio like, does all of his cars and all the fences and all the decks. And he's like, what in the world? I want you to teach me karate. And you're having me do all these chores. And he's mad. And then what does Miyagi say? Wax on. Whoa, right? That was all training. Listen, I think God says the same thing to you and me. Matt, we're making a sacred covenant. I'm going to be your God. You are going to be my son. I'm going to train you to be like Jesus. I say you do trust me. His commands are not grievous. We spring up because we know he's training us. And while I might understand all the intricacies of this command right now, it doesn't matter. I obey it because I trust him. We obey. Number two, Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What's faith? In your head right now, if you're to try to think through what you really believe faith is, what do you think it is? Is it a conjuring up of some kind of like feeling where you're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta feel strongly about this? Is it a power that you tap into? Is there a resonance that you come to with crystals or essential oils? Is it positive thinking? Is faith positive thinking? That's real popular. You guys know who Tony Robbins is? The king of positive thinking, right? Release the giant within you. Learn to think this certain way. Okay, he got sick and had some problems. I just read an interview he did last week. The title of the interview was this. Tony Robbins. Just positive thinking is cow manure. He used a different word. I'm like, what? I had to read this. Like, what in the world? The king of positive thinking is saying, ah, that doesn't work. So what? What is faith? We're learning something with Blind Bart right here. Blind Bart has nothing. He's got nothing. I think it tells us two things about faith. Number one, faith is a lot less about who has it and a lot more about who it's in. It's not the haver, it's the who. So I can have 
all kinds of faith in Myron, my eight-year-old, that he's going to be able to bench 500 pounds. Yeah, that's not going to help him. 250, he's got it twice. No, 500 is not going to do it, right? Or I can have faith in this guy right here. You know who that is? His name is Tiny Meeker. <laughs> and a month ago, he shattered the bench press world record. He bench pressed 1,125 pounds. And he did it when he was 50 years old. I love him. <laughs> now, if I have faith in him to bench 500 pounds, no, no problem. Do you understand that? It's much less about the haver, it's much more about the who. So faith, number one, is opposed to earning or to owing. That's paganism. Faith is not about God owing me something or trying to earn something from him by things that I muster up. That's not what it's about. Number two, faith is a strong confidence in Jesus, period. It's a strong confidence in him. He can do it. That's all it is. It's a strong confidence in Jesus as the source, as the fountain. So I have this little statement, and it's this. Every promise God makes meets every need we have in Jesus. That's faith. Every promise God makes meets every need that I have in the person of Jesus. It's every promise of God is yes and amen because of Jesus. That's faith. You need forgiveness done in Jesus. You need grace abundantly in Jesus. You need power totally in Jesus. You need mercy brand new every morning in Jesus. You need purpose totally from Jesus. You need power by Jesus' spirit. You need joy extravagant from Jesus. You need ability. I can go on. You need love. Yes. Every promise God makes meets every need I have in Jesus. That's faith. That's faith. That blind Bart is all of our story, is it not? We're all blind Bart. We had nothing to offer. We didn't come in our greatness. We're broken by this world, no doubt. And we need Jesus. We need his mercy. We need his mercy. And I love this. The final phrase is, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. That's what we do. You are the source. You're the answer. I'm following you from now on. That's why every Sunday we make sure and finish with coming to the table. That it's just kindergarten until we get to the grad school of Jesus. He's it. And we're reminded of that in this simple thing done all over the world in millions of churches today. We remember, we remember Jesus. So Jesus, we hold in our hands the memory that we could not do the covenant of works. 
We failed miserably in Adam and our own life. But you did what we could not do to give us what you earned, life, eternity. And so as we eat today, may we know joyfully we're beggars who have found bread. Let's eat together. And we hold the cup, the cup of cleansing. We hold the cup, the cup of invitation confess our sins and to be cleansed from unrighteousness. We hold the cup of the coming kingdom that you will not drink of this cup again until you do at the Lamb's feast of eternity. So we pray as we drink that the veil between heaven and earth would grow thin for a moment. And we'd find help in our time of need. Your promises, meeting us, strengthening us, transforming us into your image. Let's drink together. Amen. So we conclude with a song. After that song, you can head out. We also offer two things, prayer up front. Maybe something has been burdening you. A great way to get unburdened is through prayer to allow people to bear that with you. Nothing too big, nothing too small. And we offer baptism. Maybe today is the day where you decide to obey the command of Jesus, to spring up to the command of Jesus. And he says, repent and be baptized. All right. If my king commands it, I'm obeying it. If today is the day to do that, right after the song, someone will be back here at these doors. They'll meet with you, talk with you, explain salvation versus baptism. And then we'll join in this incredible story. Jesus is right in your life baptizing you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you stand for this final song?